0: blessing what a blessing as we celebrate with this couple this morning you've heard from a family that will be going out specifically from here to share the love of Christ in a cross-cultural context they'll experience things that most of us will never uh, experience they'll become instruments that will be used in a way that most of us will never be able to imagine what a blessing it is that you get to play a part in sending them out. Perhaps one of the greatest highlights of this is that they have come from within this body. This is where they grew up, and this is a place where they both experienced God's call in their life, and they recognized this as his plan for them. And many of you are the ones who have invested in them to uh, to help them reach this point. So first of all, thank you as a church for your role in what we're doing today. Later in the service, we'll actually pray over them and we'll have the opportunity to send them out. But first, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture at a time when Jesus sent two people out. It's found in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 11, and it deals with the story of Palm Sunday. It's why we come today to celebrate. Um, While you turn there, let me highlight for you just some of the things that had taken place just prior to this sending out, just prior to what we call the triumphal entry. First, we know that Jesus had been out preaching and teaching, but this teaching has primarily been taking place on the outskirts of town. It wasn't really in the big metropolis area. He seemed to do most of his preaching in less populated areas. Although word would spread very quickly and these less populated towns would all of a sudden become very populated. It's almost like the city of Clemson about the time of the end of uh, uh, beginning of August when the students have been all gone and it's a ghost town. And all of a sudden everybody comes home or everybody comes back and it's a thriving metropolis. In Jesus's case, there were all kinds of people who would come out to see him. Some were just curious onlookers who had heard the stories of Jesus and they wanted to to watch the show. They weren't really all that excited about the message, but wow, if this guy could do some of the things they've heard, they want to be able to see this. They'll be able to tell their kids and their grandkids about what they saw. Others came to hear the kind of message that he would bring. Certainly there were many who had different ideas about why he was there, so let's find out what this Jesus has to say. Uh, They had certain expectations that they heard religious authorities uh, say, and they sort of expected maybe Jesus to do the same thing. Of course, there were also those who came out of loyalty. Perhaps Jesus had already reached into their lives in some way, setting them free from sickness or even demonic possession or simply setting them free from condemnation, like the woman who had been caught in adultery. I'll guarantee you that woman would always remember that Jesus had been there not to condemn her, which he certainly had the right to do according to the law, but rather to pick her up and allow her to be set free. Those people would be forever grateful for what he had done for them. And of course, there would be a last group of individuals that they were there listening constantly, but it was because they were coming looking for their healing. They had a specific need and they were hoping that just maybe they might come in contact with this Jesus and that he would touch them. In fact, consider some of the miracles that Jesus had performed just in the weeks and months leading up to this occasion. Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind. He had healed 10 lepers. He drove a demon out of a Syrophoenician woman, uh, her daughter. He healed a man who was both deaf and mute. And of course the list could go on and on. There were all kinds of miracles that Jesus was doing because people were coming out of the woodwork to be able to touch Jesus. Of course, this doesn't even touch some of the other things that he was doing. Things like feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Things like walking on water. Things like calming storms. Jesus and what he did. It was amazing. People were curious. They wanted to be a part of this. Now let's take a look at the triumphal entry. We know all the things he was doing. Let's look at the triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 11. It says this. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, before we talk about the sending of the two, because there were two individuals that are sent here in this passage I want to take a moment and consider where they are and where they are going. First of all, we know that they are in an area known as Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. This is an area that the disciples and Jesus would have been very, very familiar with. We know that because of something that's said in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Jesus has been out ministering in a somewhat distant city and he receives word that his friend Lazarus has become ill. And actually, if we know the story already, by the time Jesus receives this word, Lazarus is already dead. Yet Jesus decides to go to Lazarus anyways. And as he announces this to his disciples... Listen to the response he gets in John eleven eight. 8. It says, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? <laughs> a little bit later, Thomas is identified as sarcastically saying, let us also go so that we may die with him. Well, Bethany is where they're at. It's just outside of Jerusalem. You know, I find it so intriguing that on one occasion, Jesus would be railroaded out of town to the point that he's about to be stoned to death and the disciples fear going back to this place. Yet on another, the people throw a huge party to celebrate his arrival. They go out and they they throw their cloaks and palm branches on the ground to prepare the way so that the Lord can pass through. I can't help but ask the question, what changed between the first event and the second? Jesus clearly doesn't change, for he was the same all-powerful, all-loving God who had been preaching in the countryside for so long. So maybe it was the people in the town that had changed. But how did that happen? Let me suggest that although Jesus is about to send two disciples down into Jerusalem, he had already indirectly sent others to proclaim his coming. Perhaps the greatest example of this is found in the story of Lazarus. I just kind of summarized it briefly to you. Well, following Jesus's arrival, Lazarus is brought to life. Word spread like wildfire as people had come to pay their respects to a dead Lazarus. They knew he was dead. They saw him. He had been dead for several days by the time Jesus arrives. Well, imagine those same people who saw Lazarus dead. Completely dead, not just fallen asleep, not just passed out, but they knew this man was dead. His body had begun to decay by the time Jesus got there. Imagine those same people when they see Lazarus walking around a few days later. You're wondering to yourself, am I crazy? Did I miss something? And of course, then you hear the story, actually, he was dead, but Jesus brought him back to life word would spread through these individuals that Jesus had done this great thing. Surely he must be the Messiah. With that in mind, let me use this to challenge each of you in a personal way this morning. Somewhat of a follow-up to what I shared with you last week. Although you may not be called to go and work with a specific organization overseas in some cross-cultural capacity, we are all called to share our story. We are all called to go and to proclaim what we have seen and experienced. And often it is our story that can change the playing field. Clearly, in Jesus' story, the entire situation changed because people had heard the story and had become receptive to Christ. Sure, there were probably some who were still not receptive of him, But there were many who were. And it's simple why this happens. To many, Christianity is nothing more than theory. It's a theological perspective. And it seems that everybody has their own theology. But when it becomes your personal story, like Lazarus, it comes alive. So go and tell your story. Every one of us has one. Go and tell your story. But now let's take a moment and consider the two who were sent ahead of Jesus. We're not given their names, but we are told what they are to do. They are going to make preparations for the upcoming triumphal entry. In this case, they're getting a colt on which Jesus will then ride into town. There would be other occasions when Jesus would send others on ahead for specific purposes of preparing for a big event, events like the final Passover meal, which Jesus would share with his disciples. But the point is that Jesus intentionally sent people to prepare the way for his coming. Likewise, God is still sending people to prepare the world for his coming. At the first coming of Christ, it was John the Baptist who would pave the way, and then the disciples later on as they would pave the way. And at the second coming of Christ, it will be people just like you and me. Certainly, the second coming will be very different from the first coming of Christ. In the first coming, Jesus came with meekness and humility. He came as an infant child. He came to offer up a sacrifice. In the second coming, meekness, humility, and sacrifice will not be what it's about. Instead, he will come with power and might. Consider the description that's given in Matthew twenty-four thirty. It says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. All the nations will mourn at his coming. (laughs) Revelation 1-7 uses another term. It says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. This time it's wailing mourning and wailing. The point is that there will be great sorrow when Christ returns. The sorrow will be primarily because the world knows that he is coming not to offer grace and compassion, but to pass judgment. And unfortunately, most of humanity will not be ready for his judgment. The sad reality is that according to Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, there will be very few who are ready. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Only a few find it. Now that you have found it as children of God, We are to go and to help others find it also. You have the privilege of going and to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. To make disciples and to offer others this same hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you the only reason this is significant is because we don't know when the day will come that the Lord will return. But we do know that it's coming. What I will tell you is there are enough signs within Scripture that have already been fulfilled that it could be at any moment. I honestly don't know when it'll be. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was in my lifetime. Therefore, there ought to be a sense of urgency for us to go and to declare what God has done. My hope is that today you feel challenged to prepare the way for Christ by bringing the hope that only He can bring. Maybe it's simply by you going and telling your story to others. If you're a child of God, then you have a story to tell. Whatever God has redeemed you from, I will guarantee you that someone else needs to hear your story. There's a wife who's been betrayed. She wonders if God really cares. There's a husband who is grieving the loss of his lifelong spouse and he wonders how God could carry him through this. There's a mother who has watched her child struggle and she wonders, is there any hope? You telling your story may be the first step in helping others experience intimacy with Christ. I know your story is unique. You probably feel like yours is worse than everybody else's story. But everybody else in this room is thinking the same thing right now. Not about you, about themselves. Every one of us has a story. And if Jesus Christ has redeemed us, allow that story to be something that points people to him so that they too can be redeemed. But it's also possible that through a time like this where we celebrate the sending out of others, God may also call others to go and do something like this in a full-time capacity. I believe that until the day that Christ returns... He will be calling people in this manner. And although it may seem far-fetched to you, nothing is impossible with God. In a moment, we're going to pray. But if you have felt that call to full-time Christian service... I also want to invite you to come and talk with me after the service. I would love to be able to encourage you and to help you in that process. I believe that God is going to call people. I've had the privilege of seeing multiple students from when I was a youth pastor who are now missionaries and full-time servants of Christ. What a blessing it is to see that. But I believe that God is still going to call more. And many of those may even be people who attend this church on a regular basis. We're going to take a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you, first of all, as we pray, I'm going to ask you to examine your own heart. And perhaps today God is challenging you. Maybe you have a story to tell and you've never told anybody. Maybe today is the day to tell somebody. Maybe God is calling you to go even further. The theme of this year at Trinity is to go deeper. Maybe God is calling you to go deeper in the way that you serve Maybe God is calling you to full-time Christian ministry. If that's the case, I ask you to, more than anything, ask God for a willing heart. He will enable. He will open up the doors. It may seem impossible. Nothing is impossible. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you today. And as we celebrate all that you do, all that you have done already, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be willing servants of yours. Lord, we look and we realize all that you have done and it has been great. Lord, there have been things that have taken place in our lives, battles that we've had to face and we wondered how we could make it through. Yet through your strength, we stand today in victory. Lord, I pray today that you would allow That story to be echoed through your people constantly so that others in our community, in our families, in our workplaces might know that there is a way to walk in victory. Well, give us the words to speak. Give us a hunger and a passion to simply share how good you have been to us. Not in an imposing way, but in an exposing way where we are exposing the love of God to the people around us. Lord, I also pray today that you would continue to call people to go out and to serve. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be people that are willing to go wherever you would send us. Lord, I pray today for a willing heart. Help us to be surrendered to you. No matter where you would lead us, help us be willing to follow. Father, we ask for your blessing on this church. Anoint us to be your servants, just as these two became your servants, and they paved the way so that others could cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.